Hello there. Uh, this week's episode of This Is Only a Test is sponsored by Dropbox Business. Dropbox Business, with administrative and security controls designed specifically for businesses, Dropbox Business enables teams to simply work together on any file from anywhere. Learn more at dropbox.com slash business. And hey, let's start the show for Thursday, November 12th, 2015. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of tested.com. I think that's we can call that a near successful, pr- pretty pretty good. The opening launch, like <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Patrick. I, er- I could tell you were pretty happy with the timing on that music. Oh yeah, you did well. We, since I've started hosting the podcast, every initiation of the episode. First of all, Jeremy Williams, Patrick Norton joining us today, hey, everybody, and I'm Norm. Uh, thanks for joining us. But Patrick, every time we start the podcast now, it's like <laughs> our version of a rocket launch. Everything, the order of operations, mm-hmm. the timing, the, the digital streams, everything has to be perfect. And I don't think we've got perfect yet, but the rocket has, hasn't blown up yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're going by Soviet standards rather than American standards for That's rocket right. launches? Well, <laughs> close enough. Yeah, close enough. Ah! Thank everyone for joining us. And speaking of rockets, let's just start off talking about this past weekend's events. Yeah. Um, did you guys see it? I did not see it. There was a Trident nope. 2 launch, right? Which is a, a missile. A um, $32 million missile. Was it an intentional loss or an accident? Excuse me, an intentional launch <laughs> loss. or an accidental Broken launch? Broken arrow. Broken arrow. <laughs> uh, it was an intentional launch. So, Patrick, do you, do you know about this? Have you been following? I found out about it from you. Well, I found out about it from you, but I first heard about the light in the sky from yes. a friend of mine who was trolling her sister, uh, uh, and with my help by giving her really, really cool quotes from Revelations because she thought uh, that there was a an alien that had come to the planet and it had been confirmed according to sources on Facebook by no less than three government agencies. Confirmed. <laughs> the on speed forces. of stupid on Facebook may actually exceed the speed of stupid on the Internet itself. Whoa. Not that wow. I'm a little cranky. Well, now you should see the images. If you haven't seen this yet, it's worth checking out because it is a very unique site. Yes. Unique site. Yeah, things you, are just. You unique. saw it. You didn't know what it was. That's true. Uh, so uh, Dan and I were driving to the East Bay. We were going to the USS Hornet for a birthday party. Which, if you've never had a birthday at the USS Hornet, <laughs> or attended someone's birthday, I highly recommend it. Or it, just go to the awesome. Hornet. Period. Or just go to the Hornet. It's in Alameda. It's a great museum. Um, but driving over the bridge, as we approached the bridge, approached the bridge, we saw a light moving across the sky, and it was low enough. It looked low enough because it was moving fast mm-hmm. across the sky. It's so like a flashlight in the sky. When you see lights in the sky like an airplane, for example, right. based on the move, how fast it's moving and the, um, how bright it is, that's how your brain reconciles, oh, it must be at this altitude, right. which I know to be an airplane because it's only that bright. It's not, really, it's not a star, and it's moving this fast, mm-hmm. and it's co- it has colors. This looked like a white spotlight. And it was moving fast enough that it looked like my brain was convinced it was a helicopter. Hmm. 
Wow. Because that's how fast it was. You can actually follow it over a course of 15 seconds moving across I was the amazed that people all down the California coast saw it. And so that's, that's the thing. After about um, 30 seconds of it, it went behind a building in my field of view and disappeared. So I'm like, oh, we're, that's interesting. What was that? <laughs> and it didn't look like a helicopter because like, what was it shining a spotlight on? It was right. looking really bright. And I didn't see illumination anywhere. So went went on Twitter and uh, asked, what was that light in the sky? And apparently people were talking about it, not just in the Bay Area, like you said, Jeremy, all up and down the coast. That's right. The launch was actually in San Diego. It was crazy, actually huh? in San Diego. We're way north of San <laughs> We're Diego. Way north. <laughs> like, that's, yeah. how high does, does a Trident missile actually fly? Yeah. It must have, I mean, I don't know the exact altitude, but high enough in the atmosphere so that people as far north as San Francisco and San Rafael saw it, and people as far east as Nevada, New Mexico saw it, based on social media reports. So is it actually a ballistic launch when they set one of those off? It was a, I don't know, it's a, it's some test. It, I don't exactly, not know exactly. Oh, I mean, like, like, is it one of those big, oh, giant, arcing, ballistic kind of? I, 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 I guess it does qualify as an yeah. intercontinental. It is a, yeah, it's a ballistic missile. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but no warning. Um, we actually... Uh, Will, Adam, and I talk about this in a future episode of Still Entitled, which we recorded earlier this week, so you guys can look forward to more discussion about that. But I think the fascinating thing, the takeaway, was how people reacted in the age of social media, in the age of interconnectedness, and right. how fast information travels. Terror versus curiosity versus some more definable reality. And also, cover up. I mean, conspiracy... Who, who doesn't love a good conspiracy theory? <laughs> you don't have to believe it, but you can you can always appreciate the theory and and the people the way people work their logic and and bend their logic to fit the yeah. theory. Work additional components into it. Mm-hmm. Well, of course they said it was a Trident missile launch, but have you ever heard of a thirty-two million dollar missile being launched randomly on a Saturday afternoon? A Saturday night, I yeah. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard the it. Also, back in fifty-one, we're in an age where we don't have the missile fear. Yeah, it's, it's, you can speak for yourself. Thank you. No, no, I, I, did, I did hiding <laughs> under the desk drills in case of nuclear strikes in one of my elementary schools, which as, at the age of Are 40, you 70? Uh, well, no, I was in the Midwest. <laughs> Cold, Cold War. <laughs> I was in Iowa, man. We did tornado drills, and, 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 and we actually did some hide under your desk drills, which, no, I, I think we're probably a little dated at that point, but... Yeah, I think the the school uh, administration wanted us to be prepared right <laughs> for on, all eventualities. It's a Boy Scout marching song. So uh, there is, uh, in addition to that, very eventful Saturday evening. There are a bunch of things that happened over the weekend and some news. So uh, let's jump right into um, the thing that none of us were at. At least I, I don't believe any of, us, any of us were at. We're BlizzCon. BlizzCon over the weekend. Um, Blizzard Activision, Blizzard's big annual game uh, convention. Um, it, w- it happened just after, well, as we talked about last week, the Activision buying K- uh, King, the makers of Candy Crush, mm-hmm. and we really showed our ignorance of these pre- freemium <laughs> games last week. Proudly. Proudly, yes. Like, well, I've never played one of these. Just it's like a match three game. Man. That's all you need to know. Yeah, Crossy Road. Oh, we'll talk about that on Apple TV in a while. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but I think the coolest thing was the Warcraft trailer came out. Did you guys watch that? No. That's Any, any interest? Uh, I played Warcraft. I was addicted to the game for yeah. a good year. Um, I'll I'll be in, I'll see the movie, sure. But uh, <laughs> you know, I guess I'm not anxious to see the trailer. But you are interested in seeing the movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I saw some of the photos you took of the props at Comic Con, mm-hmm. and it looks amazing. It really looks a lot like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I guess a, a little bit like I mean, and and Weta did work on it, so the armor 
is you know ha- has that weta look a to it similarity <laughs> but there is a great like over like um the kind of caricatured armor styling right. uh, that you'd see in a video game the orcs look great they're really they're massive you know it, it, it's it's weird because it's a telling of warcraft the original mm-hmm. story that how old is warcraft Ni- early 90s yeah 93 94 sounds right um and that story i don't know like people today playing world of warcraft or other you know, modern games don't know that original that that classic orc versus humans game. i didn't story. know that there was much of a narrative to those early rts games oh yeah totally all right totally the orcs tra- interventional travel you know invading azeroth I mean, didn't you get the story from World of Warcraft? No, you were playing it. No, <laughs> no, dude. Did, Did you, you ever play, play for it? the story? No, I, I already knew uh, by the time World of Warcraft came out that there were certain types of games I could go nowhere near. Yeah, like there was a there was kind of a a, a uh, very early Sims experience that nearly took me and one of my closest friends in college out of college in a single <laughs> semester, uh, and then later with Command and Conquer. Yeah, and there's certain types of things where even I can recognize that it's so obviously designed to be crack that yes. keeps you on the computer 24 hours. I just won't go near it because i think like an 18 hour gaming session is a perfectly rational thing for a human being to do but my wife seems to think that should be grounds for divorce and never getting to see my children again so there's there's a compromise in place <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I, I stayed away from ever crack as long as i could but as soon as world of warcraft came out i i got hooked i don't know why it was it was the accessible mmo right when it came out it was like okay this is the game that people who don't necessarily care so much about uh, the role-playing aspects are old fantasy. They can still get into it. The graphics are great. It's accessible. And the, the cooperative infrastructure they built in, yeah. you know, the social stuff, in right. terms of the trading and, and the guild stuff, you know, c- entire s- social networks and communities were built out of that. I'm surprised it's taken so long to get a movie off the ground. Well, Gary, at one point, was... Uh, I think he, he, he said he wrote a draft of a movie. Yeah. Sam Raimi, at one point, mm-hmm. was, was going to direct it, and now it's Duncan Jones, who directed Moon and Source Code. Um and he's directing it yeah no kidding that's wow. right yeah yeah i don't know did, did anyone other than me lose people to fall fall out this week i spent an hour in it mostly in the character creation <coughs> tool and then once i left the uh, and fallout and there are a lot of big games out actually this these past two weeks there's fallout 4 mm-hmm. there's the new tomb raider game which has been reviewed really well uh the call of duty cod blops 3 i think came out last week also I've only only tried Fallout, and it's one of those I. You know it's going to be an eighty to hundred hour game, right? And so once you get out of the the vault, which that's not a big spoiler, you leave a vault, um, <laughs> then it, I feel it on my the anxiety. I'm thinking Fallout Four, I as I assume Fallout Three was because I I don't play those games because they're just too big. They are value games. I mean, you get a lot for your money right. with those games. You can go, you can play through them and spend. How long? Like fifty hours, probably going through, and then you can play it again and play it completely differently. Mm-hmm. I'm looking; it's the exact opposite of the game I'm looking for these days. I want a four to eight hour game, and I'm happy if it's four. Yep. And then, and I just want it all compacted into that. I want, I want crack cocaine in well, game well, form. Well, Jeremy, <laughs> you're gonna. I think your tune's gonna switch once those games get adapted for VR. It's possible. Especially if it were multiplayer, if there was like a metaverse where I could wander around with and people. That is one of the interesting things about games like Fallout, these open world games, where it's a single player experience, and mm-hmm. you can people have tons of fun exploring on their own in the world, right. just by themselves without any real social aspect to it. 
a, a friend of ours who 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 has a, a workstation in the warehouse had brought in their their console and connected it to a monitor and given themselves like two personal days and I literally watched <laughs> them every time I wandered in and out of my little nest in the corner of the warehouse with some computer or something you know it's like I finally was like tapped on the shoulder like what are you doing crafting just basically crafting yeah in Fallout 4 I'm like you've been doing for that for like six hours she's, she's like yeah it's, it's pretty awesome and then I come back like 20 minutes later and there's basically carrying a, a BFG I know not the name of uh it looks like a minigun that was shooting like 40 millimeter grenades I was like you're not crafting anymore are you and this big shit-eating grin like no no i'm not and this is good too <laughs> it's why minecraft is so popular the open-endedness of it it's they're building tool sets mm -hmm. and fallout is a game where you have uh, it's a type of game where you have both that, that type of tool set built in yeah. to explore and 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 make it your own story but also a story and also a world that they've crafted so that you can interact with and and that's the i mean i don't think is there an mmo that does it that well i, I didn't play um the uh, the uh, Elder Scrolls MMO and I didn't and, and the Bethesda MMO. I don't so. know. I, don't I did. Know. I ran through Fallout for a few hours last night just to see w what it was about. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, I, I guess I tried to get hooked because I would like to enjoy that kind of game. I just don't have the patience for it. But it has that Skyrim kind of environment, which is just stellar. Yeah. And so I would love to see that in VR, just to wander through it. There. Well, uh, and I know. I just want to know why the dogs look better than the people. <laughs> yeah, the that's people, the problem. Is the, the people, people are way in the uncanny. They're, I don't even know if they're in the uncanny exactly. valley or about to fall into the uncanny valley. It's like valley. ten year old uncanny valley levels with, with the people, which is a little disappointing. But yeah. the environment's perfect. There is a, a mod. Um, I think you can use Vorps, Vorpex, um, mm -hmm. to modify games like Fallout and, I, and yeah. get my experience VR. with that has not been great. Yeah, it it gets the head tracking, like the head rotation right, but the movement, you, you still have to be okay. It emulates the mouse. It moves the mouse yeah. when you move your head, and it's it's rarely one-to-one, -one in, my, in my experience. There's a little bit of drift or a yeah. little bit of weird arcing. Um, another event happening that, uh, that happened this past weekend, Day of the Devs. Um, Jeremy and I both went. Patrick, do you know about this event? I do not. So, Jeremy, why don't you tell us about Day of the Devs? Oh, sure. It's a it's the third year they've done it. It's, it was invented by Double Fine, which is Tim Schafer's company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a local independent game developer, and they invite, I think there were 40 game developers who were invited to, it's always in a different location, this time it was in the dog patch, and they all set up booths, and there's a stage, Someone people play music, they take turns presenting on the big screen, and it's basically a party for independent game developers, and a chance for them to show their games in development to anyone who wants to come. It's totally free. All ages? Yeah, all ages, and people come, and they give feedback to the developers so that they can... Nice. You know, finish off their games and make them better. It really feels less like an E3 type um, where they're just to play the game and more of a festival. Yeah. Because a lot of people there, maybe they played one or two games, but they're just hanging out, chatting with people, meeting like-minded people, chatting about games. There's a stage, like you said. There's music. These are indie games, too. I mean, these are like yeah. two, three-person developer or two, three developer games. I mean, they have very limited budget. This kind of exposure to them is priceless. Yeah, there, there was a range. Uh, some some more true. established developers, some people. And there's some you know, fairly high profile, at least in, in the indie community. Cuphead was there. Yep. Um, you have Tacoma, which is the game from I, Fulbright, I want to say. Uh, they did Gone Home. Mm -hmm. uh, some VR games as well. What did you play? What did You brought your son. What, what, what did you guys My play? son actually did a report on it. He's an eight-year-old, so he had to do a current event the following week, so it was perfect nice. for him. So he uh, he brought a photo of him and Tim Schafer. He interviewed like four people there. Um, he liked Arena Gods, 
which is there's a lot of games like this now. But it's a top-down four-player last man standing game with with a uh, you know um, I don't know it's like a sword game, sword fighting game. Uh, there was an amazing LED game that I loved. It it was it wasn't the kind of thing you could ever buy because it's a piece of hardware, but it's it had a big LED strip that ran from the floor to the ceiling. And they made a game out of it where you were a character and you had a joystick and you pushed up and it would move up. But then, like, these pitfall-style um, patches of lava would open up and you couldn't stand on them when they turned, you know, the darkest color. And then you had to destroy these red guys by shaking the joystick. And you, they, the idea was to get from point A to point B. And it was all mapped with LEDs on a matrix. In one strip. So it's like, cool. what kind of game can you do with a single strip of How LED? Wide? In, is, um, Just one? One line. Really? Yeah, one line. It was, it was a really interesting experiment with good obstacles and enemies. And that's it's all in your head then. Well, the sure. Representation, the colors are the that's only way you really differentiate. That's it, exactly it. Yeah, colors but and luminosity. It was well coded. I liked it. Wow. Um, Spy Party was there, which I thought was a, a I didn't fun play game. That. Uh, it's been in development for a while. Um, a two-player game where uh, one person plays as a spy, another person plays as uh, a sniper. And the sniper tries to identify the spy and shoot them, and the spy tries to complete a series of objectives. It's one of those. Uh, there was a Half-Life mod called the Ship that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. was released a long time ago. That did this really cool multiplayer idea where it would populate the world with artificial intelligence, with mm -hmm. NPC characters, and the idea is that as you play with your friends, you're trying to hide from your friends by moving like the NPC, pretending to be NPC, pretending to be NPC, and because the NPC, the AI, wasn't perfect in terms of their <laughs> pathfinding and in terms of like how they were programmed their interactions they were programmed to interact with each other then you also had to you could hide from your friends by you know, not moving too fast or not moving your mouse around too quickly and so this takes that idea where you're supposed to the person who plays this the spy blends in with the other characters while trying to oh, complete funny. things like pickpocketing overhearing things and and interacting with the npcs while a sniper observes the room from afar and tries to pick you out. Hmm. What's that called again? Spy Party. Interesting. Yeah. I think really cool. And it's, it's out on uh, not early access on Steam yet, but you can buy a pass and they'll send you a code. Um, and I think it even works cross-platform with Wine for, for Mac. Double Fine was showing Day of the Tentacle, which too. Remastered? Yeah. How did, how, how did you think that looked? I mean, it, it looks great. I never played the original. I'm, oh, okay. I don't know. I was like, I don't know. I feel bad because I, I do really like what Double Fine's done for the community, and I was back to their Kickstarter. I love their company, but I never liked LucasArts games. Back you never, in the, back you in never the day. liked the, the adventure games? No, I don't know. I, I was a Sierra guy, when, and I liked typing. <laughs> I liked saying, get lamp, and, you know, walk over there. I liked entering my commands. I didn't like the point and click. I thought that cheapened the experience. Cheapened the experience. But the dialogue system no was one so good. under 40 shares my opinion. I understand that. Well, A, I am <laughs> over 40, and B, I also just don't miss typing in things and having a guru eat my face. But <laughs> there was a connection. It was like the game communicated with you in text, and you wrote in text. It was like a symbiosis. You know, it was like you were on the same level. I'm mm. with you. All right. Um, so my, my issue with that is that those remastered games never give me the exact they're, – they're nostalgia plays. Right. I, if I'm paying for that game, it's not to have the exact same experience. I'm never going to feel as great as I did playing that game back then. But it is like in my mind, the archival now. This is now the canonical new, how it, how it is preserved in my brain. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever bought a remastered game and played it all the way through. It's more like playing it halfway through, or just get to see a level, see there. Oh, okay, they fixed it up. This is now how I'm going to think of this game right. now. But. I don't know if I want well. To play maybe it's a chance that. for people who didn't play it to play it. You know, like Grim Fandango is one of the greatest adventure games of all time, and I guarantee you, like 
people <laughs> under my age probably never played it. So and even the remastered game like Grim Fandango, while you know, the now story it's on, it's on iOS, you can play yep. it anywhere. It, the the pacing is not in line with what the new kids expect. What you know, even in an adventure genre. Well, that's one of the challenges. I mean, it's funny watching people react to Mame cabinets where they either really, really get into it. And if they're really, really young, a lot of times they get into it a lot faster, but there's this sort of middle space where it's not exactly what they expect from their phone or from a console game. Yeah. And they're either going to get sucked into the gameplay or not. And it's really, I mean, I think it's really curious to, to watch the reaction to that. I'd so much rather run the original program in emulation than watch somebody's redesigned version. But, you know, I, I just, it's it's weird sometimes for me to see characters I know that have been, made over mm. yeah speaking of cheapening the experience <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know i'm not i'm not a fan of up things you yeah. know I, I like the original if the original art was drawn for low res that's how it was intended to look that's what the artist saw right. you know that's what we should see you should whip out the crt to play it on, on you should as well yeah absolutely yeah well um speaking of old hardware uh unearth this week and it was a big deal for people like our friend steve lynn who collects old consoles the original SNES PlayStation prototype. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see this? Yeah, it, it was it was a big deal. They they got it running to some extent. <clears throat> so um, we everyone knew that this existed. I mean, it was a this was a deal that fell apart in the late stages between Sony and and Nintendo after the SNES before the PlayStation. Yeah, this is when Nintendo was thinking about making a, a CD based entertainment system. Mm-hmm. Right. They were supposed to all be destroyed, but some wise people held on to it. Right, so they booted it, they got a splash screen, and uh, some of the hardware still works. So it's, it's a really cool artifact. I mean, if you, if you look at it, it, it looks like kind of like what you think a, a Japanese electron, piece of electronic looks like in the 90s. Right. With the vents and, you know, <laughs> and uh, the, the SNES-style game ports. What game is that? Um, I don't it's know. It's like two dogs or... Yeah. Oh. So it does have a cartridge on the top. Interesting. Yes. I, I would like to know more about this hardware, and I think we'll, we'll ping Steve Landing and, and uh, get some insight from him. Right on. Um, what else is going on? Let me pull open the show notes. Oh, yeah. Are you ready for this, Jeremy? Are you taking a deep breath? Okay. All right. I'm ready. Hit me. We're going to talk about iPads. The iPad Pro is out. Yeah, dude. You got one. Well, it, w- it was announced. It would. Uh, the rumor was that it was going to go on sale on the, the 11th, mm-hmm. which is Wednesday, yesterday, and it did. And not only did it go available on pre-sale, it was also in store. So uh, here it is. Bam! For people watching the video, uh, <laughs> tested iPad Pro. Yeah. Um, obviously, with only ha- having had it for one day, and Patrick, yep. let me hand it over to you. What's to your check full out. review? Oh, <laughs> the full review is not ready. All right. But Leading. No, no, no. The f- you have not finished your review. Your full review is not two words, not ready. And <laughs> <laughs> it might end up being not ready. Well, uh, the, I'm sorry. I, was, I, the, I, I read like three different reviews, and it was one of those things where you're like, wow. Like, like prior expectations are insane because it was like I was reading about – you know, reading like I want to say it was like maybe Mossberg, The Verge, and Daring Fireball. I felt like I was reading about three completely different products. Did Daring Fireball like it? I he uh, so we'll talk about the what the reviews okay. are saying, and there's a reason to read the reviews because 
it's interesting to, to note how, how yeah. these pundits and these fans perceive the product right. and what, what they're trying to try to get, the context they're trying to get across, in addition to some of their own testing. Uh, but leading up to the release of this product, uh, Tim Cook went on a media tour, and they really made a big deal about how this, because it's a essentially a $1,000 tablet, right. it's pretty expensive, uh, how this could be a device that replaces, uh, for some people, their desktop mm-hmm. and, and or even their laptop. Now, they're not going out and saying... Uh, this is the tablet that can replace your laptop because that's Microsoft's slogan for the Surface. So without saying, hey, the iPad Pro is a tablet that's going to replace your desktop and laptop, they're just saying a lot of people won't need desktops and this will be good enough for them. And I, I, I think that's true. It's already been true. That's the thing. It's already right? been true with the, the iPad and the iPad Mini. A lot of people, even with the iPad Mini, use that as right. 90% of the computing time is yeah. on that device. And maybe they have a workstation at work, or maybe they have access to a computer with a, a monitor and a mouse and a cursor control. Mm-hmm. But for email, for web browsing, for photo work, iPads, or even their phones, mob- the quote-unquote right. mobile devices have been fine. And so I think that also the context is a lot of people have been reviewing the iPad Pros and saying this is Apple's big play to save the iPad line. And they've been quoting all these sales. The, Why does it need sales to be saved? I don't think it needs to be saved at all. And I don't think this is the product that they're doing to do that. Maybe They only made $96 billion last right. quarter. Uh, Apple's in trouble. They only yeah. made 89% of the revenue of the entire tablet industry and most <laughs> of the revenue off of development for mobile apps. They're dying compared to Android. No, it's where all the money is. Absolutely. I don't think they have a lot of problems there. No, no, and you, even if you look at trends at, at the growth rates, because right. you can look at sales numbers and say, okay, they've sold X million, but if you look at the the uh, the the one level above that and look at trends and how what the growth rate is and what there's negative growth right. and... Sure, people buy tablets less often than they buy phones. And Apple has done a miraculous thing in terms of convincing a consumer, people, even those sitting in this room right now, that they need to, or they want to at least, buy a new phone every year or every other year. Mm -hmm. We've said this before, that's crazy for a lot of people. People should not be spending $800 off contract or even $400 on contract every other year to buy a phone. Now, if you consider the phone is... You're own you're not only just the phone for making calls, but also your computer. Even then, buying a new computer every two years, pretty crazy for most people. Right. But it's how they've expanded, and it's it's how people actually think of cell phones. A lot of people think of their iPhones these days. That's their preference. For the iPad, it being an additional expense, they've found that people don't haven't been buying the good enough in the second or third generation right. has actually been good enough. My kids are still using iPad 1s to watch videos and iPad play games. Ones. Yeah. Totally. Wow. Patient kids. <laughs> well, those, they, that's slowed by now. I mean, I had my, I was trying to use my kids uh, iPad 2 and I just I could not do it anymore. It's we in one cuz we don't have much that's newer so cuz yeah. I always notice like, you know, I would always be try to keep like a gaming PC. I'd build like a $500 gaming PC and and limp it along for like four or five years. And I was cool as long as I didn't jump onto somebody else's, you know, right. state of the art $8,000 machine. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's for the most part, you know, it's one of the areas where they have patience because they so desperately want to play that video game, they'll wait 30 seconds while it loads. And it's one of those things where at this point, and we said this in the iPhone success review, that there may be some diminishing returns that maybe have been for a long time on the iPad side. So how do you get rid of the diminishing returns? Where you look at how people maybe don't expect to use their iPad, right? It's right. The old iPads, iPad, the Retina iPad Mini, love it. Uh, and it's really great for c- the consumption, great for watching video, great for right. reading email. So 
with the iPad Pro, I think they're exploring the new use cases. They're right. trying to get rid of the diminishing returns. It's not, I don't think, to save the iPad or the tablet market, but to maybe change what that means in relationship to how people use their computers. And so a lot of the reviews talk about performance. And I think uh, the Daring Fireball and the Ars Technica review um, <coughs> did that the most in talking about this being possibly an inflection point for ARM-based computing, right. which is really interesting. Um, the iPad Pro is a piece of hardware using the latest is A9, A9 now, yeah. A9X chip uh, from Apple. Uh, it's an ARM processor, not x86. Uh, it's very fast. Mm -hmm. In a lot of these benchmarks, single core benchmarks, it outperforms things like the uh, Intel's Core M processor right. uh, in single core performance. The GPU here outperforms even like a lot of current generation right. Mac MacBooks performance. Now, the, that pure computational and processing power, sure, that's great and that's interesting, and you can use that to project forward and say, maybe down the line it won't make sense to make a cursor-based tiled window OS using right. ARM processor, and maybe Intel's in trouble. But to talk about this product specifically, that performance means so little when the apps and the platform available on iOS are not what people need for the laptop experience and for the tile window and the cursor well, experience. I mean, the, one of the, the quotes that Daring Fireball like pulled together a whole bunch of the reviews at one point and um, Horace Dedeu's review where he basically says uh, it seems to be the first iOS device meant to be used on a desk. And this, 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 I think the pro is going to like live or die based on how well the split, split screen multitasking um, works. Because I cannot, I cannot do my job going from a single screen to a single screen to a single screen. Absolutely. Um, you know, and most content creators I know, no matter what they're doing, have enormous difficulties with that. And it, I, I think about it, I was thinking about it a lot because I spent most of the last year, my primary desktop was this sub $400 gaming machine I built with a dual core Pentium processor, which is phenomenally, you know, fast enough. It's like Core i5 speed on single uh, thread tasks. But as soon as you have four or five apps open, even switching between apps every so often, something hiccups or glitches or there's a pause. And all I can think of is like, you know, if I'm sitting here trying to do something on deadline, you know, and my iPad Pro is like, okay, be there in a second. You know, I'm, I'm going to be thinking even about Core i3 laptops or anything else. Well, th and that's, I mean, that's when you say Core i3, you're saying, essentially, you're not just saying that performance point. You're right. talking about an x86 OS or an OS platform right. that's designed with multiple Windows. Windows, essentially. Yeah. Not Windows with a capital W, Microsoft Windows, but right. tiled, a tiled window interface. And Jeremy, I think we've talked about this before where I think, my, I, I postulate that the way we humans are, our brains are wired, we're spatial people. Mm -hmm. And we visualize information and data really well when they're blocked off in windows. And it's one of the, and it's not just about, that's a good use of the canvas and the screen space. And it's not about performance. It's right. about, that's how we relate information to each other. Mm -hmm. And in these, in these boxes. Um, now maybe that paradigm will change and maybe Apple will figure out a way where you can split the screen in multiple different ways and you don't need to have a flat back desktop right. to have to have overlay in windows. But I completely relate with you, Patrick, where my brain cannot, it feels like it's at a crawl when it's right. one window or one screen at a time. It's like, oh, DOS. And it's not those. even just like the switching between the windows. It's that my brain, the information gets lost mm -hmm. when I switch 
Like I, I can't move the data in my mind <laughs> when I'm going from copying a piece of text from one screen to right, pasting yeah. it in a, a document and then like I need to see all those things together next to each other. Oddly, you can't, as far as, far as I know, you can't do two um, Safari tabs side by side either. Oh, funny. Right? How about Chrome and Safari? Uh, you have to like the apps have to support that side panel, so I'm not sure any other web browser supports it yet. I believe uh, you know. Let's let's do a quick yeah. test right or now. Or you could try Firefox as of like yesterday. Firefox on iOS is. Is out. it actually Firefox or is it a yeah. Firefox interface set on top of Safari? Well, all of the web browsers have to use the WebKit right. core, <clears throat> but it is Firefox. It will sync with your bookmarks. Interesting. Um, yeah. No, Chrome splits halfway. Oh, there you go. Uh, Problem so solved. Safari. Uh, uh, hey, open load. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. I think the pl uh, a lot of reviews talk about software not mm -hmm. being there yet in yeah. terms of just compat basic compatibility. It's the same issue that we're in with into with the 6s and 3D touch know. being a big feature. Right. You know, and we still don't have 3D touch being used everywhere. The thing is, the stylus is the big hardware improvement here. You've got a bigger screen. Other than that, it's the same thing as the new iPad Air. You could, you could do split screen with that. You could hook up a keyboard to it. You could do the same productivity apps. The new thing is the stylus. And you haven't had a chance to try that yet, Norm, because they're not even available for the first month, right? Not even the keyboards and the stylus. The yeah. thing that essentially makes this usable as a <laughs> laptop replacement, the yeah. built-in keyboard. They have the Logitech one, but not the native one. Oh, I heard the Logitech one was better, though. You know what, Jeremy? I don't think you can do Safari, and the renderer won't do it. Every time I'm trying to do I thought you this, just tried it. No, I couldn't. I was... I'm, I'm, I, I said that um, Safari and Chrome will both work with other apps oh. side by side, but I'm trying to get rid of you Twitter right now, and it won't let me put... How do <laughs> you swipe down from the top. So get it in the side and then swipe down from the oh top. Oh, my goodness. There it goes. There you go. So oh, no. Okay, there it goes. It does work. Wow. But you have to use two different browsers. You've got to use two different browsers. Um, I will be very curious to see that stylus. If I could draw, I think that would be enough for me mm -hmm. to justify buying an iPad Pro. Because it, from all reports, the stylus is great. It's the latency is very good, and it's got interesting technology. It's, it's not a capacitive stylus. You actually cannot use it on previous iPads. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, so that would be very interesting to me. But I can't draw anything. It's not my life. If I if it was that that be that would be pretty cool. Uh, I mean, having used the the Surface Book, for example, with mm -hmm. the stylus that comes without the Microsoft Pen, and the convenience of being able to pop up OneNote and draw something and doodle, even though I'm not an artist either, but it really is <laughs> just about taking screenshots shots and annotating or just jotting something down, incredibly useful. And I think Apple's going to need to bulk up, or the third-party developers will bulk up the note-taking capabilities. Mm -hmm. The 12.9-size canvas, the 13-inch um screen in this thin tablet form factor and both the surface book clipboard and the macbook pro are almost exactly the same size mm. the surface book's a little bigger uh, is great i think the mini is going to sell well for apple going in the future i yeah. think the pro is going to sell well and i think the standard ipad ipad actually will not it, I, I have no need for that it's too small the 9.7 yeah. inch I, we also tested the speakers before we started recording and i was very impressed i'd be curious to see what you think i mean obviously I have issues. Caveats involved. It is, <laughs> yeah. It's a tiny little enclosure, well, but have you heard it? I have It's not. got four speakers, and they have this new enclosure that you know reverberates the sound inside. Right. So it gives you a... We compared it to the laptop, and it was night and day. Right. 
far superior. Well, the laptop speakers, I mean, Apple's laptop speakers have just been atrocious for a yeah. long time. Yeah. Yeah. And the screens on their entry-level laptops, the, the MacBook Air, I think. The, the screens. The, screens. The, the standard res ones, yeah. Yeah, which I, I don't think they'll change that. Um, one, one final thing I'll say about the iPro Pro and how I'm going to think about testing it and using it is I really like when Microsoft released the Surface Book, they said out clearly it, their bet on this product was that people would use it as a laptop 80% of the time and use it as a tablet 20% of the time. Yeah. And that theory informed how they distributed the battery between this device and how they got the weight to be what it is. Now, that could be all marketing speak, but like I said in my review, I found that to be really true. I like using, I need the laptop 80% of the time when I'm buying, if I'm like buying a $1,500 device. And the 20% use of the tablet, where it's either for note-taking, sharing information, or sitting and reading and watching a video, that was good enough, the two and a half hours of battery life. Obviously, the iPad is, is the almost flip of that. It's something where you're use, if you buy an iPad Pro, you are using the tablet form of it most of the time, right. maybe 80% of the time. And if you buy the accessory, like the keyboard, which no one talked about lapability, but only it's fixed at one angle, mm -hmm. and you know it, it doesn't lock, um, maybe use that 20, 30% yeah. of the time. Uh, it doesn't add extra battery either. I'm curious to see whether that is a viable use case for something that costs a thousand or twelve hundred dollars with the keyboard. Yeah, um, I'll be curious. To see, they gave into so many things over the years. Um, you know, video on the iPod. Um, I think App giving Store, in, app, give, saying giving in is not the right well, way. Well, reverse their position. Which Responded is, to reviewers. Yes, I, I don't think that's. The, I don't think that's that's it either. I think that it's purely marketing. Right. I think. Just like where Steve Jobs Fine. said the stylus is, is a bad device and you want to use finger, that's just it's purely sales speak. And fine, so they reversed their position on, well, their, on their marketing. They unfolded so their their roadmap. I, I wonder if eventually, because right now Tim Cook is saying that Microsoft's product is diluted because it doesn't know if it's a portable or if it's a you know a, a, a workstation. Mm -hmm. We just put iOS on our device. I wonder if one day there will be both OS 10 and iOS on a tablet. I don't think so. No? I think that uh, just as we talked about the ARM performance on this projecting forward, and you can see great things for ARM once the OS supports better, better utilizes it, and once the apps better utilize it. For example, like iMovie was really good on ARM right now. More iMovie style apps on mm -hmm. ARM. Um, then I don't think we're going to see Mac OS. Mac OS is, well, I think will stay with this fixed laptop form factor. Maybe OS no, oh, 10, sorry. Yeah. Um, we'll f stay fixed on this non-touch form factor, but you're just gonna, I think you're going to see iOS become increasingly robust. No, I don't no, think it's no. there now. I don't know. They've got to make touchscreen laptops eventually. They've got to give into that. No, they don't. Yes, they do. Why? Because he touches my laptop every time he uses it because yeah. he's so used to it. And so, my kids do too. It's like that's clearly the future. <laughs> or clearly it's what people have been trained to do. Right, exactly. That's what they expect. It's, it's, and I, I completely agree. And if they don't do it, if they stick to their guns... That reversal will just be positioned as they've been working on it for a really long time to get it right. And it is the fundamental right. difference between, as we go back to what is the difference between mobile and PC, it's not necessarily form factor. I don't think it's processing power. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's uh, price point. What it really is, the difference between mo a mobile uh, device and a, a desktop class device is the OS, the mm -hmm. platform, which is the tiled windows and the, the cursor-based system versus a t purely touch-based, 
not you know it's multitask but single full screen experience we'll call it as opposed to the tiled screen yeah. experience um, and I think Mac OS for the tiled screen the cursor stuff right. I don't think you're going to get touch Windows has tried to get mash both into one and Windows 8 did it really poorly I think Windows 10 does it better um, yeah, Windows changed. I think Windows 8 fundamentally changed the way Microsoft produces operating systems. Dot 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 for the better. Yeah, um, which isn't to say they got it right, but it just changed how they think about touch targets and right. what. And and their solution really is the stylus. Like, how do you get touch on a laptop? Well, and, and maximize like let you manipulate small cursor points. Use the pinpoint accuracy of a stylus. Like I scroll mm-hmm. with my finger on, but I don't move my, I don't tap buttons and move and minimize windows and manipulate windows with my finger because the that's touch targets are so thing poor. I, use with it. I, I keep trying to use the the stylus and I've either left it on the wrong table because uh, yeah. I keep knocking it off the the side of the Surface Pro Four, um, but I actually. I don't have that. I don't do that much with touch screens. I mean, I, I did have recently. I got a, a gaming uh, laptop in um, that uh, I'll mention later on. But the, uh, the it doesn't have a touch screen. And the first thing is I touched it. I'm like, oh, cool. It doesn't have a touch screen. And I went back to the mouse. Yeah. Um, and it, but it's funny. Like the the things I do with touch screen are so meaningless and arbitrary. It doesn't really offer that much on a laptop for me. I keep thinking like. This is the time I'm going to start doing really cool stuff. I think it's not about being cool; it's about the convenience. Well, it's it's about, even, but the that's natural. just it. Like convenience is cool, but it's mm-hmm. there's no you know there's nothing convenient about grabbing a stylus because if I'm at a laptop, I already have the keypad. If I could draw, because I watch people who can actually draw or really serious Photoshop geeks manipulate with a stylus, and it's one of those things where like I wish I could do that because they're it's incredibly efficient for them. Yeah. And they're doing things that they can't really yeah. do. The convenience with a mouse or a touchpad. And efficiency. And I think you're the type of person who, if you could do everything with your hands, never having to leave the keyboard, you would do that, like shortcuts all the way. And I I totally appreciate that. But even I I like doing that, but I still find myself, I would rather touch and click an OK button to close Mm -hmm. the dialog window with my finger than use the trackpad or use a mouse. Apparently I need to run, try to run Adobe Premiere with a stylus yeah. on the Pro 4. <laughs> no, not recommended. Be an exciting experience. People edit Premiere with using just the keyboard. Like, yeah. it, there, are people, there are people, editors who don't touch a mouse. Yeah. No, yeah. I've, I've, I've worked with a bunch of them. It's amazing to watch yeah. somebody. Um, it's efficient. I mean, it, it really is. Like your, The way our brains are wired, the signals between your fingers and your your head the minimal movement like so much you can do right and the, the keyboard's a crazy invention and also pretty arbitrary the layout of those keys and just ended up working out no they weren't arbitrary they actually pretty. they had a much more efficient layout and then they switched it to slow typist down to keep right. the uh the actual bars the type bars from jamming on type yeah so i'm sorry then, not arbitrary but a dated uh, paradigm right that was yeah like you said a function of a mechanical problem right that doesn't exist today but like i wonder how much it irritated you know ibm when they were working on the selectric that they can make the actual keyboard layout and the angle so much more efficient but they couldn't actually solve the real problem which was you know qwerty versus dvorak or something have you tried <laughs> living with dvorak or another keyboard layout i type 80 words a minute uh i just don't i'm i'm just I'm, i don't need to type that i can't think that much faster so there's no <laughs> point in me I was really curious. That. I wonder, just like there, you hear stories about families raising their kids on Elvish or Klingon for the first three years of their life. Interestingly, I've never heard that before. Really? <laughs> yeah. There, there have been experiments where 
parents tried to raise their kids on con languages, <sighs> constructed languages, as as either their second language, so to be bilingual in English and this language, or even as their primary language in a few cases, just for a little bit as the child's mind is developing. Crazy idea. Selfish right. parents. Um, I think uh, I'm curious to see whether if someone would train their kid to type in a non-QWERTY format, right. in a format that allows for faster typing and faster input from brain, <laughs> download from brain to screen, if that would change how the, that child thinks. Oh, wow. I just, I, I'm going to say that the one I've really wanted to learn is is one-handed typing, left-handed or right-handed, which is... Um, yeah, is exactly. Uh, there actually are methods for it, um, in part because of, of, of people who have, have lost a hand yeah. and they've able to use their, their fingers on, on one hand. Um, but I find myself in situations where I'm trying to type something while I'm manipulating something... Um, you know, in the when I'm building something, or just being able to mouse over here and be able to keep typing at, at a more reasonable speed, that's actually those are pretty cool uh, uh, ideas to me. Where there's actually a, a developed just like a type typing system where they've developed a method to allow you to cover the entire keyboard efficiently with one hand. You think it's m more challenging for someone today to change how they type on a keyboard than it is to learn a second language? Oh boy, it depends on how they learn how to type and how much they type. I think. Because um, some people, I mean, because I, I know I've worked with a bunch of people who are kind of, you know, they're hunt and peck typists on mm -hmm. a keyboard, you know, but if you give them, you know, Snapchat, their thumbs are typing at an absolutely alarming rate. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, Brains are weird. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it's also a lot of it's about muscle memory and repetition. And if yeah. you don't, you know, I mean, it's crazy. Like I was talking to some parents, like, they don't turn teach cursive anymore. You know, are they teaching typing? No. Well, then what was the point of eliminating cursive if you're not going to teach what they're actually going to be using? Right. So. Well, voice. What you want to do is teach the kids to speak perfectly <laughs> to the voice recognition systems so they can dictate entire paragraphs. So their grade in the class is based on whether or not Siri understands them? Or whether they can construct a full paragraph with the fewest errors. This is how we're going to get to that future in her. Do you remember the movie Her with Spike Jones, where yeah. everyone, I don't think they had keyboards, they just recited everything mm. perfectly. Yeah. He worked for a greeting card company. And, and he just recited letters. He, yeah. Right. And kids can't do that. I can't do that. Well, it also requires you in some cases, I mean, you know, to compose a complete paragraph or essay. There are people who can do that, but... I think it's a very useful skill. Sure. I mean, again, if you raise someone to only voice input on the computer, right. would it change how they their brain developed and how they constructed ideas and formulated ideas? Yes. Right? Brains again. My brains writing, are weird. Well, my writing changed a lot between when I would actually longhand everything out on a legal pad yeah. and then when I started using a, a, uh, a computer full time. I'd like to, I can't wait to see 20 years from now what social experiments you've subjected your children to. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta have like gotta have five children so I can subject each to a different type. <laughs> of <laughs> input right? There'll be there'll be the there'll be the. Uh, the, the experiment A, which is languages, con languages, yeah. which which con language is the Dothraki, <laughs> Elvish, or Klingon, which one develops your brain best uh, with with maybe a, a placebo, a, a control case. Are you going um, like, to generate a random number as the title for each child, or will you uh, letter them <laughs> as inspired by Google's alphabet? Number four, recite in <laughs> Shakespeare in the, its original Klingon. <laughs> and then the secondary test is all input methods. Typing, Dvorak typing, voice... And uh, what was and single-handed typing? Okay. Yeah, and then longhand. That's the There's longhand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Yes.
try, let's go back up there. I think we were talking about the iPad Pro a while ago. <laughs> uh, went, went off on that tangent. Um, an interesting Twitter account to follow and to go back is Steven Sinofsky, who, uh, if you don't, if the name isn't familiar, he was the lead on Windows, the, going into Windows 8, and he left Microsoft after Windows Windows 8. Uh, and he has been blogging and tweeting a lot, very frank tweets about what he thinks about the future of uh, user experience and input methods. Hmm. And he actually, he, I think he's of the camp where he believes you can't say that tiled windows and cursor-based interfaces are the future. He, he thought you'd never do video on mobile. He thought that you'd never do, you know, touch wasn't it. So I think he believes, if, I can inter- if I'm interpreting his tweets right, that we, you know, s- software li- software will find a way and the convenience of touch only uh, full screen only experiences or not top window experiences will eventually win out where and it's already the case where i think the you know if you look at sales of devices um cursor based mac like P- traditional pcs are um, are being, you know, on the wane macbooks bit. are up 3% whereas ipads are down for the year but saying, iOS, touch, touch devices. Yep, Again, yep, yep. M- mobile, what is, what is mobile for desktop? Anyway, um, did either of you watch the Steve Jobs movie? Not yet. Nope. No, I mean, that's more of a, you know, on-demand kind of thing for me. <laughs> I can wait for it to show up on, like, Amazon. Prime yeah, I don't need to see that in the theater. It's not, you can't. I think it's been removed from most is theaters. It gone? Lost my chance? It, it is, has performed so poorly. I like Danny Boyle. I mean, I'm excited for, to see it. I've, it's going to do well in video. I like everyone Better. involved in that movie. Danny Boyle, mm-hmm. Aaron Storkin, the writer, right. yeah. uh, Michael Fassbender, Kate Winslet, everyone involved, I like, except I really have no interest in who's, watching that movie. Who's Wozniak? Oh, it's Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen, yeah. yeah. It's all good. It's not a bad choice. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't really, it's one of those movies where it's like, too soon, did it really need to be made, what's the point? Well, not too soon, because so there much. were so many other. That's the like, thing, there's there was so n- much Steve Jobs in the air right now. I mean, there's yeah. like two serious bi- uh, biographies there's the other one from the guy from that 70s show, the other movie. Ashton Kutcher? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It just seems like it's just there's so a, much, and they're just inundated. There's a, a great clip on YouTube from that Ashton Kutcher, Steve Jobs movie where it's him. Uh, the scene is him returning to Apple, and he's walking through Apple's campuses, and he meets a young Johnny Ive, and it's his first time meeting Johnny Ive, <laughs> and they are the immediate bond. You've seen that movie? I, no, I was just on the scene. Okay. Just this scene on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And Ashton Kutcher is doing like an SNL impression of Steve Jobs the entire time. The way he's like grimacing, he's like trying so hard. He, right. can't, he can't even act because he's just trying to maintain the look. Right. It is hilarious, oh, that well. scene. It's, it's like, it really looks like a sketch comedy scene that just wasn't intended to be, <laughs> even be funny. Jobs, the musical. That's right. What's Blackberry Preve? The Blackberry Priv. Wow. That's, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good for Blackberry that you said that. Patrick, but that's actually a really fair reaction. Uh, why don't you tell, educate us and uh, Jeremy on what the Blackberry Priv is? Remember Blackberry? I do. Yeah. I remember how everybody used to have a Blackberry. Mm-hmm. And then the only people that had Blackberries were people who were working for like gigantic corporations or yeah. the federal government. Mm-hmm. Well, the Blackberries decided that they don't want to die yet and they're going to build a new phone with better security for those markets. And it's out. And yep. it's a little less than completely baked. That's the general reaction to well, it. Well, the big deal is that it's an Android phone. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't have a tactile keyboard? It does have a tactile <laughs> keyboard. Okay. Yes, it's a full Android phone. Hmm. I think the keyboard either um, it's it, you don't have to use it. 
um, I want to say it's it it's disconnects or sl- it dis- it's a attachment. Hmm. Um, but the way it's made to be a BlackBerry is its security features and their software that they've built in. Uh, right. So it's compatible with all the previous be- the BlackBerry OS. It doesn't even run Marshmallow. It runs Android Lollipop because I'm sure they've been working on it for a while. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people say that the build quality and the software experience just, yeah, the performance is okay, but there's nothing remarkable about it other right. than th- that compatibility with BlackBerry, uh, the BlackBerry ecosystem. God, yeah. what, it's so sad. I feel so bad for this this Canadian company. <laughs> What's yeah. the BlackBerry Preve? <laughs> well, it's funny because like the I think it's Crackberry that put up the uh, it's, that's a tough thing to be running a website about um, BlackBerry products, but uh, <laughs> I mean the other one is is uh, I guess they have the Vienna, which is the next phone that follows up that another BlackBerry. Yeah, huh. I think it's codenamed Vienna. Um, so uh, a bigger deal for the for the Android world and the Google ecosystem world, not BlackBerry making an Android phone, but a new Android Wear watch that is a true luxury watch that actually looks ap- may look appealing to people who are watch aficionados. Right. This is Tag Heuer's $1,500 smartwatch running Android Wear. It's their own hardware design? It's a new hardware design? It's a new hardware design, and if you look at it, it looks a lot like, if you, if you didn't know it was a digital, wa- mm-hmm. a digital watch with a screen on its face, hmm. it looks like a, a, a ni- nice luxury watch. It's a full circle. <laughs> full circle, yes. The full circle That's is important. important. Yes. $1,500. Uh, titanium case. It, I think the screen is 46 millimeters. Right. Um, and pretty high resolution, you know, waterproof. Has, you know, your uh, your processor inside. So it really is a full Android, high-end Android Wear watch. $1,500, I repeat. Jeez. Very expensive. But if you're on the market for, I mean, I, I think Apple has proven that, they, when they release the Apple Watch, it is not a commodity item. It is a luxury item. Yeah, the $1,500 one's the mid-range one. That's right. And so for Android Wear to launch and people complaining about the pricing, and now you have the high-end one, um, maybe this is a way to get, I mean, I love Android Wear. I, I, I really miss it. And uh, I think the software integration was, was really good with that. And then also, I think $1,500 is relatively cheap for a tag here, a watch. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Generally, being a vintage pocket watch and or Timex kind of guy myself, um, you know, I've, I I understand. Like, you know, obviously, I have a whole bunch of headphones that are probably ridiculously priced, but I've never understood, you know, the whole sort of like six thousand to multi million dollar uh, watch collecting thing. But you're yeah, absolutely I, right. I'm seeing five thousand dollar tag yours at uh, Bloomingdale's uh-huh. right here. So, you know, that's not a huge, I mean, and if it's, if it's built like every other tag, it's like having a little awesome little tank on your wrist. Hmm. And I mean, there's, there's such a huge market for people who wouldn't be caught dead, um, with an Apple watch on their arm, uh, but who would happily do their, I'm a pseudo 19th century diver, special forces, pilot badass with my wrist chronographic device. Well, Another interesting thing, because they make a ton of watches, right. and this is their first foray, and it is an experiment, um, and it's, it's a brand shrink. A lot of people right. love the Tag Heuer's. Um, They're beautiful. They, they are. Um, there's a warranty with this watch, and a two-year warranty with, the, with the, their Android Wear device. In that time, 
if you decide you don't like Android Wear, you can actually go in store and trade up your Android Wear tag here for a mechanical tag here. That's a, that's a company that understands brand loyalty. <laughs> yes, but you do pay more. I mean, you're paying another 1500 sure. bucks, I think, so you're getting a $3,000 or equivalent right. watch. Uh, because of the, how much it actually costs them to make those watches, right. I think it, it's very fair for them. Right. And again, it is brand loyalty. I think it's a really smart thing for them to do. Given the aftermarket resale value of your typical smartwatch after six months. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what exactly that replacement mechanical watch and where in the lineup right. that is. Maybe it'll be less, retail less for 3000 uh, But anyone trying out, like they're betting for people to, to new customers to buy and adopt this Android Wear watch. And then... Hopefully in two years they won't dislike it enough to, or, or maybe they will and just pay another fifteen hundred. And at that point they got a three thousand dollar watch right. sale, which I mean again, like compared to the value of a Samsung Gear first edition, uh, it's going to be worth a lot more. Uh, the tag's going to be worth a lot more in eighteen months, even if you don't trade it in than than your vintage first generation smartwatch, your Pebble. Pa Patrick, I noticed you're not wearing a smartwatch. I, um, I have these very ridiculously sized wrists and it's enormously difficult for me to wear a watch for extended periods of time without having wrist pains. Oh. Uh, I could not actually wear that. I, I, I toughed through the first week with the Apple Watch, but it wasn't until the new band came out when they did the extra large sport band that I could afford to buy a band that would actually fit my wrists. <laughs> um, but I, I stopped when I started writing for a living at magazines. I stopped wearing a watch because about six months in, I realized whichever wrist I wore the watch on started to hurt after a couple of weeks. And when I stopped wearing a watch, my wrist stopped hurting. So I'm a little idiosyncratic that way. <laughs> Jeremy, um, how about you with your, Android, your Apple Watch? How is it essential in your life now? Well... I don't know. I, I didn't have the the Pebble beforehand, so I was going straight from nothing to notifications on my wrist. That feature alone is made it. I don't want to say indispensable, but I do miss it when it's not on my wrist. Uh, you know, just getting text messages and email notifications alerts right here, and giving it to my better half, who half the time, at least half the time, never heard the phone ring <laughs> or get the text message. Has it actually changed that? Yes. Really? And that's great. Wow. Okay. So now Priceless. I can get her attention. <laughs> yes. That's good. Awesome. Um, right. I, I never use apps, though. Never use the apps? I, ne I never go to the app screen, ever. I'm never down there. It's just notifications. That's good Interesting. Enough. Do you use it for driving? Uh, you mean uh, directions? Yeah, directions. Sometimes. Direction. Yeah. I mean... I'm usually using Google Maps, and that does not sync over. But if I happen to use Apple Maps, yes. Well, if Google Maps syncs over, there's even more functionality now. Uh, <laughs> this week, Google Maps announced offline directions. Yeah, Big why deal. did they not have that before? I thought they that had was a version of it before where you can download like the local version of just right. that map just to zoom in, but you couldn't get turn-by-turn -turn directions. Oh, interesting. And so the way this works is you can download by region, by you know city or county right. or by area. They'll download it locally, including the 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 logic needed to right. process addresses and directions, and it'll even run uh, with your uh, your data off, but with GPS. So a lot of people, if you want to save data. And turn on airplane mode. How does it actually, work without GPS? Because it wouldn't know where you are. No, with GPS. Oh, so you can have GPS with right. like the airplane mode with no data connection. Turn off data. Oh, I see. And and just use the GPS with your downloaded map. Yeah. Uh, the most the best case use for this is just low reception area. I hate, yeah. 
driving through the mountains, driving up through Marin County, which is 20 minutes (laughs) north of San Francisco. Like there's huge swaths where it's little country roads and there's no coverage up there. Um, but yeah, this is, this is, I mean, for, for, you know, Navigon and which is now part of Garmin and some other companies, this cannot be good news. No. On the upside, you know, if you want to, if you're doing a lot of traveling, the idea of having to like go into manually, like search for, you know, Broward County, click, download, this county, click, download, this county. Because I don't think they do anything like the state level. For Can't you just type that. in your destination and then download the trip? That, I think. I yeah. Think you can. But, okay. Yeah. Now, what, what I would love, and this is where I, I really, it's one of the reasons I use Google Maps as opposed to Apple Maps, even on the iPhone, is I do all my pre-planning and trip planning on desktop. Like I search because I like I, I need the big it's window. Faster. It's faster. I can reroute with a cursor really easily, and that search history saves. And so when I load up Google Maps on the phone in the car, it's like the first result, and it has that exact same trip. And I would imagine, in the future, because you can also push downloads to your Android phone, that you we will select the area where you want to download on your desktop and mm-hmm. say download the phone, and then just download it on on the app in the phone. That's what I would hope. Right. Um, there will be an iOS version uh, the, uh, with compatibility for offline maps, and that's coming soon, quote unquote soon. Um, but I think you know Google's smart enough that they want to have the best mapping app right. on every platform. I think somebody should probably make clear is, is having spent a lot of time in the hinterlands when there is no cell coverage. Oftentimes, just having your route doesn't work in case a road gets cut down, a tree falls. Um, or you end up being like, oh, wow, there's a dinosaur quarry 10 miles that way. Yeah. And I want to figure out if you can keep doing a big loop past the dinosaur quarry. <laughs> <laughs> People so are, having the logic downloaded is important. Yeah. Having the like having all the information for an area. That's uh, cool. Especially as you really get into like, you know, eastern Nevada, southern Utah, New Mexico, where you get into huge areas where you can get lost really well uh, and not have cell reception the entire time. All right, we're going to jump through some uh, last news bits uh, relatively quickly. Um, Apple Music is now available for Android. It was a delayed launch. Um, I would I would ask you about it, but you no longer have an Android phone. Yeah, and I'm, I have no interest in Apple Music really. Although if I was to get Apple Music, I would get it on the Android phone first, so <laughs> Apple so Google gets the thirty percent cut. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That would show them. Yeah, should take. T- yeah, and then um, also, uh, have you seen this Kickstarter for custom fit earbuds? Yes, um, Revolz. I want to say is the name of the name of the company. Um, it is. It's a, and they've raised half a million dollars already on on Kickstarter. Uh, but it's a system where you get the earbuds and you put them in your ear, and then they form fit and and and. A Canadian lock in. company came up with this technology and actually had it at CES, or a similar technology, maybe not the same, but they they have been doing for years, uh, primarily at mining operations, being able to create custom ear molds to protect people's hearings. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a weird little system because you basically clamp it on, click a couple things, hold it, and then it expands into your ear. Then the polymer hardens, right? And you pull. Oh, it back so this out. is not a mold you have to send off to get no, made. No, and that's the it. big thing. Is right. as opposed to a one month plant, you just do it at home. That's interesting. Yourself. Yeah. I would assume that they license the technology. Uh, And it uses Onkyo um, audio technology. Uh, My question is, is there no fear of, like, it doing any damage to your ear when the mold's setting? Getting stuck. Yeah. No, because it's not that... It's so soft. Yeah, I mean, looking at the shape on it, I don't think it's doing something where it's injecting things deep into your ear. It looks like it's in a balloon that inflates into your ear. Mm, um, got it. 
you know, they don't, the, the pictures don't get that deep. Um, you get one shot. That's yeah, it. I, I, yeah. I believe you get the one shot. Yeah. What do you think, Patrick? Is this, is this, some, you'd have to see what the drivers sound like to even make a call on this? Yeah. Because like one, I mean, custom fitted ear molds are always amazing. Although, um, like Edemotics has been around forever. Um, they do these silicon, uh, plugs that go into your ear canal and they're amazing because they're like 37 decibels of attenuation without being custom fit, right? Because they have like four thin layers of silicon that kind of squeeze in mm-hmm. your ear canal. They're like and ridged. Yeah, and I would use those actually in the machine shop rather than the standard ear protection because it was it was another 16D better than the earmuffs we had in, in the shop. So there's a picture of me somewhere with these earbuds sticking out of my ear and sparks coming off of metal as I'm on this huge grinder. With no music playing. You just use them for ear Generally, protection. yeah, generally for, you know... Hmm. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, it's amazing. There's so much going on in, in headphones and earbuds right now. Like, Shure's come out with their new, like, in-ear electrostatics. Um, I found out, Norm, that a friend of mine has traveled to, like, two different continents just to have additional opportunities to audition the Orpheus as Sennheiser wow. takes it from place to place. And it is that sort of mystical experience. $55,000 pair of headphones. Well, apparently it is It is extraordinary. I mean, the man's basically built an entire business about riding around headphones. But Giro he, dreams of headphones. I think literally. <laughs> I mean, it is their expression of that, but... Um, I, you know, it, it'll either be like, they'll either sound amazing or they'll sound okay or they'll sound like crap. And a lot of stuff I've seen sold for $600 sounds like crap, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. Yeah, um, speaking of which, we have a video with Patrick about how to listen to your audio and, and test your own audio equipment, what you should listen for. Check out the video. It's on our tested YouTube channel. Play. <laughs> Time for a very short ad break. This week's episode of This Is Only a Test is also brought to you by SoftLayer, an IBM company. SoftLayer delivers cloud built for privacy. Your business applications and computational workloads are unique, so you deserve cloud resources that meet your specific needs. SoftLayer is one of the only cloud providers that provisions dedicated servers and virtual servers, otherwise known as a public cloud, from a single seamless platform on-demand, all connected on the same open API, and all connected to a global private network. SoftLayer is an IBM company, and in fact, IBM uses SoftLayer as its cloud infrastructure foundation for all IBM cloud products and services. All of our listeners of This Is Only A Test have the opportunity to get $500 off of cloud infrastructure by visiting softlayer.com slash podcast. You can order bare metal servers, virtual servers, storage, networking, and security services from your choice of 24 data centers around the world. So visit softlayer.com slash podcast and get started with $500 off servers, storage, network, and security on a cloud built for privacy from SoftLayer. Thanks so much, SoftLayer, for supporting this week's episode of This Is Only a Test, and on with the show. You're not going to get the music, sorry. Soundboard (laughs) crashed, and I'm just trying to manually do it. Do we have time for the VR Minute? We do. Um, and I don't even have the VR Minute intro. It's time for <laughs> the VR Minute. Virtual reality. This week. This week. <laughs> <laughs> A couple things uh, in the VR space this week. Uh, big deal, Gear VR available uh, yeah. for sale. This Pre-sale. is the one they announced at the last Oculus Connect, right? Yes, and this is the one they're billing as the consumer release of Gear VR, the one they've been building up to. The previous two Gear VRs were 
Innovator Editions, one for the Galaxy Note 4 and one for the GS6, the Galaxy S6. This one will work with the GS6 or the Galaxy Note 5. I thought it was four phones it worked with. Well, G6 Edge okay. and, and the Note Edge as well. Gotcha. But the form factors are two sizes of phone. Um, and it is a little lighter. Um, they, they've worked out a little bit of hardware. And it's also cheaper, too, only 100 bucks. Um, I'm actually not going to upgrade. Because I don't think there's no new functionality. There's no new functionality. The, the D pads are a little different. Uh, it's being a lighter isn't that big of a concern to me. I have the GS6 version and I have a GS6. That's fine. I think that when this is actually released, the channel mm-hmm. in 1120, um, 20th of this month, the big software update that will come along with it will be the big change, and that will more mark the consumer release than the hardware being available. But if you have a Note 5 or a GS6 or thinking about getting one, uh, you should also consider uh, the Gear VR. 100 bucks, I don't think is that unreasonable. No brainer. For that headset. New yeah, York, totally. If you have that phone already. New York Times gave away cardboard, well, I think since the last podcast, right? To everyone. Yeah. That's In crazy. the Sunday edition, it was, I mean, yeah. quite a lot of issues and yeah. it all shipped with a Google Cardboard and it was, there was a New York Times official cardboard experience too or maybe mm-hmm. it was sponsored by yes. somebody. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I have not tried that experience, and you know it's it's not uncommon for people to do these big marketing campaigns. I, I remember there was that one magazine ad that actually had like a low cost cell phone built in to get the data. A phone? Like basically, you could take it apart, <laughs> and there were there was the processing chip, there was an antenna, and you could wire it up. It's expensive. Yeah, I just it struck me as you were describing the gear release that it's sort of like a perfect cardboard experience because there is no motion tracking mm-hmm. you know but it's it's like a comfortable cardboard with light isolation i would say right and it, it, it costs 100 costing 100 dollars gives you that premium rotational tracking yeah which at the initial start of uh consumer facing vr is where a lot of that content will be and i guess there's a it's a little bit of, of motion or not motion but uh input Yes. With the tracking screen yes. on the side. Yes. And also Bluetooth support, and so you yeah. can do all that stuff. Um, YouTube also, did we talk about this last week? YouTube putting all their, its content? I think we did. Right? YouTube putting Maybe. all of its content in, in uh, VR uh, to view in a window. Yeah. Um, Unreal also announced that the newest update to Unreal Engine will include NVIDIA Gameworks support. Mm-hmm. NVIDIA Gameworks uh, gives you SLI for VR rendering. Um, also, uh, their, oh God, I forget the acronym. Their way of rendering um, for VR where you can scale the level of detail. So uh, it anticipates that your eyes are really going to be focused on the center of the optics. And so it can render uh, less fidelity um, on, the, on the outer edges yeah. where, where places where you won't notice it. And I think that's going to be a huge thing. They're claiming a huge performance increase uh, without a, a noticeable a perceived uh, graphical reduction on that. I guess to go along with the YouTube stuff, there's Google Jump videos on YouTube now. Did oh, yeah? You, did you know that? I did not know that. So I don't know if it's shot with the actual rig, but they are branded as Jump. Have mm. you seen the rig? It's like yeah. 16 GoPros in mounted a in a circle. And the processing behind it is supposed to be, you know, space age stuff where it only Google can do it. You offload, you send the videos up to them and they send it back to you. But it's supposed to be really cool. But the videos that are online, I don't know. I'm not as impressed as I hoped that I would be. I mean, you can... All, as someone who doesn't have cardboard, I haven't seen them in good stereoscopic mode yet. Yeah. But I've watched it in anaglyph, and I've watched it in 2D, and you can see where the seams are. It's not like the stitching is 
as far ahead as I thought it would be of the curve. But it's all about the depth perception being the big thing. That's the thing, and I haven't tried it yet. Unfortunately, there's no Oculus support. Um, I can't wait to try it. But I was hoping that the cool you know, stuff that they've done with having so many cameras and being able to inter- interpret some amount of depth data, that there, would, there will be some uh, a form of motion um, tracking in that small amount of space of that ring of cameras. So one of the big hot topics in virtual reality uh, game development today and the, the enthusiast community is the idea of locomotion. How are you going to move around yep. in the VR space? Um, and Patrick, if you're unfamiliar, the idea is if, if VR, if the sense mm-hmm. of presence is really augmented by the ability for you to stand and walk around, then the problem becomes, well, how do you get across a giant Minecraft open world when right. you're only tracking what in front of your desk or even a right. room scale thing. And Hamster so the idea balls. Of, it, it, right. And, or circles. What's like software design right. actually works? Can you like switch to third person? Can you scale up and down? Mm-hmm. And there are two demos I tried this past week um, that ha- offered some interesting ideas. Uh, one is the Everest VR demo. And this was announced uh, alongside the, uh, the NVIDIA GameWorks announcement, I think. Um, and it's... It's not tied to the movie Everest, but they use some of the same computational model. And it's a series of experiences where you're basically giving you a sense of what the scale of Everest mm-hmm. and you walking on the top of Everest and, and traversing, crossing those ladders over the, the, the chasms and climbing ladders and stuff like that. And the demo I use, use the HTC Vive. Right. Now, is it CG? It, it's, no, it's all rendered, rendered uh, real time, Unreal Engine rendered. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's like a video game, yep. basically. Um, and you're holding controllers. Now, in one of the demos, um, what they did was before the demo loaded, it gave you uh, an empty space and it showed you footprints, uh, glowing footprints, and told you to walk to that those footprints and put your feet there, and then the game loaded in. Okay. Assuming so, you could walk there, right? Well, no. It knows because it's the vibe. It knows your room. And so the footprints tell you where to orient yourself. Okay in the room in the room in the corner of the room got it so that the level could be loaded around you and then you would have that and so that it would, it would accommodate all your movement okay that makes sense i think that's an interesting idea we talked about this if you're teleporting between spaces how do you teleport and where in that room do you end up teleporting in yeah. for example so this gives you the idea if you teleport to a space even though in the virtual environment it's a big landscape um, it's going to let you it's going to prompt you to get to the start position first yep and then load the level in, and then and then have the experience around you that's neat um obviously people have tried uh, the uh kind of roller coaster um conveyor belt movement where you don't control your movement but it transports you uh, in real time from one place to the other and the concern with that type of locomotion solution is that nausea because you're not in control of your body right uh and the way that the everest uh demo solved that was for when it started moving your body, it actually scaled, blacked out the world around you and just had the screen. And so it looked like it was just, you're watching um, um, like a 16 by nine really? video huh. of you flying to that location. And once you landed to where your next experience was supposed to be, yeah. then it opened up the frame. So it gave you a computer monitor for the movement. Exactly. That's Which then I think focuses your attention and makes you less aware of you not actually being in control of your your physical movement yeah and so it's less about it took away presence in order to in order to keep you from throwing up keep you for for comfort purposes right 
and then brought it back in in a seamless way by expanding the frame all around you when it wanted you to be more immersed. That's cool. It's like falling back on the old platform. Yeah, I, which I, I like that idea. While the demo itself was, you know, it was okay. It wasn't, wasn't spectacular. I think those ideas were neat. Um, the other demo I tried was Adrift, and this is uh, from Day of the Dead, uh, Day of the Dev, um, Devs. And this is a game that's basically the simplest, the elevator pitch for it is it's Gravity, but the VR game, the Sandra Bullock movie, the Alfonso <laughs> Cuaron movie. Yikes. You're an astronaut. You're outside the space station. And there's a disaster that's happened, and you are surviving, trying to survive, uh, finding air tanks to replenish your air, and also exploring the space station and finding out what happened. So it's a, a first-person experience, like Gone Home. You're, on, you're it's solving a, a story. <laughs> yeah, uh, but in, in zero-G. Right. Uh, and it's supposed to be like a three, four-hour game. Uh, they, it's now an Oculus uh, launch title, so it'll come out next year. But what I really loved about this game, even though you played it with a gamepad, the locomotion felt really natural because it didn't feel like you were walking around an open environment. It felt like the spacesuit was a spaceship. Hmm. So you have it's some sort of dome that you're looking Your through? dome, yes. So that gave you a, a point of reference. Exactly. And so you have complete freedom of head movement and rotational movement inside your spacesuit helmet. Dome, yeah. And that's where your HUD is. Mm -hmm. But you're using thrusters just like real astronauts do, you know, air propulsion, yeah. to maneuver around. And your brain is okay with that. I also suspect, and I haven't tried that yet, but I suspect that because the propulsion was physics-based, that that also helps yes. you become less nauseous. That's right. Because hmm. your brain thinks, okay, that's That's, that's natural. How, that's how natural. the world works. And, you know, people do get nauseous all the time in physics-based, you know, environments, yeah. right? If you're spinning around too quickly. But, but your brain is it's reconciling with your brain's understanding of the laws of physics. Exactly. And the real world. Now... In the future version of Adrift, where they're incorporating motion controls, it'll feel like your spacesuit is a spaceship with your hands popping out of it, just like an astronaut, and you're hitting these buttons to activate the propulsion, but then you're also manipulating the environments with your hands. So imagine Elite Dangerous, except you could actually interact with the world if you got close enough to it by having motion your hands yeah. stick out of your ship. Mm -hmm. I like that idea a lot. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That sounds mm -hmm. cool. And you wouldn't expect, your brain doesn't expect to feel wind if you're in a spacesuit exactly, either, Or any yeah. kind of sense of the environment. Right. The idea of spacesuit being as a spaceship, I think, solves one of those problems. Bring it on. <laughs> All right. So that's, uh, that's it for the VR Minute. We're back to news. Um, some last minute things. Uh, oh, I forgot. Time Warner. Have you seen this? Time Warner Roku service idea. Uh, Time Warner is experimenting in, I think, in some areas, swapping out your cable box with uh, the Roku. With a Roku and getting time and you running Time Warner through an app, is that an exclusive app to this I service? Think so. I think you so. can't and not yeah. Roku users. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it, it really is them banking on the UI expertise wow. and, of third-party hardware makers. God, I, I read the Roku is dirt cheap Black Friday too. It's like yeah. twenty-five dollars or something. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, T-Mobile also has an interesting new policy for um, its subscribers. If you have a data plan with T-Mobile that allows for at least three gigs of data usage mm -hmm. on your phone or tablet, then it up to 24 different web services, including, um, I think, uh, HBO, Vimeo, and, uh, and other places, uh, Netflix, right. it won't actually count toward that three gigs. Well, it's good we've solved that whole net neutrality. Exactly. Isn't, <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. 
Isn't is this the way it's gonna go? I don't know. Is it corporations just do what they want? Yeah. Yeah. Corporate. Well, it's funny because uh, uh, one of the things we were talking about on tech thing this week was we had somebody with a panicked email like, <gasps> my family keeps blowing through the Comcast data cap, and it's like, well, if you're outside of, like 18 cities, it doesn't really matter because mm-hmm. they don't really enforce it, right? That mm. 300 gigabyte cap. If you're inside the new cities where their new data plans are going. Uh, they set it up, and, and I got links in the show notes on tech thing this week, but it's like they, they first they'll be like, hey, you went over your cap. Hey, we'll sell you more data. It's 10 bucks for another 50 gigabytes. Hey, we've got this unlimited plan for 30 bucks a month. Um, you know what I mean? And it's like now at this point, thanks to, you know, uh, the f- cell phone industry, it's like it's funny watching cable following the mobile industry down a particular path. Where it's like, we're going to sell you unlimited. Well, it's unlimited until we decide it's unlimited because you're actually using the bandwidth you think you right. paid. Um, but it's, it's you know, it's, uh, the, the snarkier comments on it where it's essentially it's a pure money grab. Um, you know, the other way of saying it is like, well, they're actually enforcing it and giving you a, a reasonable, a relatively reasonable option. Except that, oh, wait, $30 is half of what your, you know, cable bill probably, your cable internet bill probably is at this point. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's also because having been pounced on by a third-party reseller of Comcast services at a Best Buy a couple of weeks ago, and just deciding that that was a wonderful opportunity to learn everything I could about the industry. It's funny how much you can learn about how little Comcast actually values a lot of its services because they just are so desperate to get you signed on for the first year. Yeah, uh, it's the second year where they beat you into a pulp and drain your wallet. I was telling Jeremy last week, if you have an interaction with Comcast and it goes pleasantly, you feel like you got ripped off. <laughs> Something, if they're happy with it, then you're paying for it somehow. Yeah. Well, they just they, they, they are also desperate to bundle phone and cable television. Security, and home security now. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Uh, let's go to what we've been testing. Um, what have you guys been using this week? Sorry for the audio cue. My soundboard <laughs> crashed and it won't even restart. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll attempt to replay the keys again. Nope. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. I don't know. Apple TV. Um, do you do Apple TV? I do Apple TV. How yeah, about yeah, the, that new remote? It's just like a usable product, but different. It's funny. As soon as like, Will I'm getting angrier about the remote. <laughs> Will Smith w- uh, mentioned on the last show that it's it's too symmetrical that like you'll yes. you'll use the wrong side completely. And I never did that until he said that, and now I'm doing it all the time. I was doing it constantly from day one. And there's a <laughs> subtle textual difference between the touchpad end and the shiny end, and that's the, yeah. the shiny end is a little bit smoother. So I'll pick it up and I'll either click or I'll realize my thumb is on the smooth part and i'll flip it around the the home button yeah. is the single best change to any apple product in a decade like that's how much i did not like going back 22 times right to get well yeah. Netflix menu menus. is back but yeah. menu is not labeled back it's still labeled menu right but it's it's technically the back button but the one that basically takes you from wherever you are to the main yes. screen is a priceless addition and the double, volume controls are awesome double uh, being able to double tap that and mm-hmm. switch between that's how you get back to your last app we all know the keyboard sucks, right? The, the on-screen keyboard. Yep. Yeah. We all agree, and we all agree it's ridiculous that they don't do voice search, right? Or voice dictation for that keyboard. Yep. Well, yeah, and the fact that they have a remote app in the app store that doesn't work with the new Apple TV, mm-hmm. a little ridiculous. A little ridiculous. Uh, the one thing I have been liking with the Apple TV is how well all of the services are integrated. Mm-hmm. 
and they did give out the right hooks. The kids are loving the games too. Oh, okay. Uh, That's the thing is that my hope was that there would be real universal apps in there that if you already own them on the iPad, that there's a good chance that they'll work. It's and been I, like a mix. It is a mix. Yeah, yeah. And as it should be. I mean, th- that's what you expect from uh, phone iPad compatibility. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. Right. But I already owned 40 apps as soon as I had the Apple TV because I had them on the iPad. So that was handy. I thought that was kind of neat. I think it's going to be curious to watch with some of the larger games how the data, the sort of capped, you know, 200, 200 megabyte cap megabytes. On, yeah. Are oh, you finding yeah. response Megabyte, time megabytes. on the games is good between the controller? There's so little going on. My issue with the controller is it's a profoundly imprecise touchpad. Where I'm, you know, if I'm trying to rewind something on on in a in a movie and getting it like it'll 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 go back, it won't go back, it'll recognize my thumb, it won't recognize huh. my thumb. Yeah. You um, should try the different sensitivity levels. I will experiment with There's that. There's 3. I don't know. I put it on high sensitivity is because I like to move around a lot. If I want to find precise time, it's it's been very difficult. Yeah. To get to an exact second in a playback. Hmm. That's great. I also use the Steam Link a bit more because I hooked it up to Ethernet, and I wanted yep. to see what the difference is like. And I, I got to say, Ethernet on Steam Link is like I'm having a monitor connected to the computer. Hmm. Oh, I have no doubt. Steam Link performance-wise... Uh, even with the three settings of balance and yeah. image quality, and even if you use image quality, it's great. You, you rarely notice compression. It is seamless in terms of the encoding and display. What sucks about Steam Link is everything else, <laughs> is Steam. St- compatibility. I've had controllers not work. Yeah. Window, I've, I, I've had black screens. I've seen my desktop oddly Several appear. times. It's, it's a little strange. I, I, it's every other time I load up a game on Steam Link, in testing, because I want to run as many games as possible, yeah. I've every other time I've had to go go back to my desk, either close a window, click a box, do something, alt tab, and that but is just not pleasant. What, what reassures me though is that the hardware works, and so that's software. Valve's on top of it. They're releasing right. frequent updates. You, you sh- you're running the beta Everything, of yeah. Steam, I yep. assume. Um, so, and I'm I'm really, really I'm quite happy with the whole experience, and I've gotten used to the gamepad too, the Steam well, controller. My problem with that is they release something. If it's released, it should be done. Uh, they should know. have the. I mean, when it's done is like that's, their mantra. Next thing that's they'll so tell me if I buy a game, it should actually function. That's so 20th century, one. guys. Come on. I don't even. I. I uh, We're in the. Don't sell something for its li- potential. We've lived in the age of day zero patches for a decade but or two now. But it's not day zero. This is the beginning of their Steam venture. <laughs> this is like they're promising daily updates and like it's going to work. It's going to be awesome eventually. Yeah, but you can't even buy a pinball machine that's finished these days, and that, that's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. <laughs> Absolutely, it's disappointing. And on that note, I think that's it for this week's podcast. Um, anything you guys want to plug, Jeremy? Um, well, there's always my Twitter account <laughs> <laughs> at Jareware. At Jareware, uh, and check out if you should follow that or the other websites. Check for more game frame information. Yeah, game frames coming. So, is there, is there a website? Uh, no, I mean, there's a, you know my website, LEDSEC, L-E-D-S-E-Q. Uh, if you add one to your cart, you'll join the notification list. But just follow me on Twitter. You'll, you'll see the stuff there. All right. And Patrick? Uh, boy, techthing.com. going to be doing, uh, we got a $799 gaming laptop from, uh, from Dell, and we're going to review next week. And I've been playing around with the Maximus 8 Impact, which is a, a mini ITX uh, board for Skylake that I'm going to be building a system around. So. From Asus? From Asus. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. And uh, we'll have more videos with Patrick on the site. It's awesome. We're going to talk geek out about hardware. Patrick has a, has a tested title now. 
Yes. What is he? He's senior so- senior technology correspondent. That's impressive. What am I? Do I have a title? Senior correspondent. <laughs> we'll 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 ma- we'll uh we'll come up with something. Junior podcast yes. associate. No. All right. Come up with something. Senior podcast editor. No. No. It's not <laughs> I, I, not either. I, I was impressed because I watched your audio video I, and you have a title. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Well done. Cool. Uh, we have a lot more content on Tested. Like I jumped the line all of a sudden. Also, <laughs> um, so please check that out. And thanks for listening. Uh, and we'll see you guys next week. Uh, this week's outro does not exist unless I can get this played. So let's see. So, so uh, that means if Picard goes and takes a steamer, he has to smell it in his office. Gift that keeps on giving. Will Smith. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.